Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome everybody. Welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve and I'm your host and uh, we've got a lot to cover today so let's get right into it all right. So I want to start off uh, just doing a couple of quick hit uh, stories that uh, made the news last week uh, starting off uh, with uh, the 45th president of the United States and uh, something that the Donald mentioned uh, in a uh, televised interview when he was asked by a reporter uh, if he planned on being a dictator, should he get elected to a second term? And uh, he, he replied that uh, he wouldn't be a dictator except for day one where you know he would uh, build a wall and drill, drill, drill. So it raises the question, or it, it begs the question rather, uh, do we think that he could shut that off after uh, his first day in office? Uh, I'm not a betting man, but I can say that I wouldn't bet uh, for that. I would say that, uh, like so many things with uh, the former president, once he grabs a hold of some power, he is very reluctant to let it go. But we shall see. You know, there, it's still a long way to Election Day. Uh, it's still, uh, even though, you know, he leads uh, President Biden in the polls by, you know, some amounts, uh, we're still a year out. There's still a lot that can happen. Uh, he's still facing, uh, you know, four indictments and 93 uh, felony charges uh, among the four of them. So we'll see what happens. In other news related to the 45th president, a.k.a. the Donald, um, last week on the, the podcast, we covered some of the things that Donald Trump uh, has uh, said he's going to do uh, should he uh, return to office for a second term. And, you know, I wanted to pick up, there were a couple that um, I didn't get into a whole lot of detail on, but I wanted to uh, bring a few of those uh, forward to this episode. Uh, one of the other things that uh, he has uh, promised to do is uh, what's called purge the civil service. Uh, to that end, and he actually uh, set this up uh, prior to the end of his first term uh, in October uh, of 2020, and it was called Schedule F. And what it would do, in, in a nutshell, is change the employment category of as many as 50,000 uh, civil servants uh, employed by the government uh, to reclassify them as political appointees. Uh, then uh, he could uh, fire anyone deemed insufficiently loyal uh, to the Donald. Uh, without having to go through very much uh, uh, detail at all, uh, as the president has the uh, ability to fire uh, just about any uh, federal employees. Now, one of the things that have, have come out is that some of his allies are claiming that uh, they wouldn't have to fire you know, anything close to 50,000 federal workers to achieve the result. Uh, you know, and they could accomplish the same effect uh, by firing a smaller segment of, quote, bad apples 
among the career officials at each agency, and that would have the desired uh, chilling effect to bring others tempted to obstruct Trump's orders in line. You know, and you know, in in relation to that, he's all he's also uh, talked about uh, installing thousands of. Uh, uh, civil service workers loyal to Trump throughout the federal government. So if he uh, eliminates, you know, several thousand people, uh, they would be replaced by uh, essentially sycophants who would do whatever Donald Trump uh, asked them to do. And you know, this is in line with uh, what was uh, uh, written out in the Project Twenty Twenty Five. Uh, playbook that was put together by the Heritage Foundation and others. Uh, and we've talked about that on uh, a prior podcast as well. So, you know, there are a, a couple of other things that I wanted to touch on uh, in, in a little more detail. Uh, one of the big things that Trump has uh, talked about doing is to round up, detain, and deport millions of undocumented immigrants. So, you know, while he's talked since uh, back as far as his 2016 campaign uh, that he was going to uh, pull these mass deportations, uh, he, he has only managed, and I'm putting only and managed in air quotes there, to expel several hundred thousand people per year, which is similar to the number of deportations during other uh, administrations. So his plans now are to enact mass deportations on a scale uh, that this country has never seen before with the goal of booting out millions of people each year. Uh, so you know, what would be uh, happening here is they would be scouring the country for undocumented immigrants, uh, people who have lived in the U.S. for many years, uh, detaining them in uh, resident camps. Uh, that would be constructed uh, and then swiftly deporting them. Uh, this is according to reports from the New York Times. Uh, they're reporting to help speed mass deportations. Mr. Trump is, is preparing an enormous expansion of a form of re removal that does not require due process hearings. To help Immigrations and Custom Enforcement carry out sweeping raids, he plans to reassign other federal agents and deputize local police officers and National Guard soldiers voluntarily contributed by Republican-run states. Uh, so in order to ease the strain on uh, ICE facilities, uh, Trump wants to build huge camps to detain people while their cases are processed and they await deportation flights. And to get around any refusal by Congress to appropriate the necessary funds, uh, Trump says he would redirect money in the military budget, as he did in his first term, to spend more on a border wall than Congress had authorized. So, you know, this is uh, something that has come uh, out of the mind of you know, several of Trump's allies, uh, including Stephen Miller, who was the author of the original deportation plans in the Trump first term. And he's quoted as saying, any activists who doubt President Trump's resolve in the slightest are making a drastic error. 
Trump will unleash the vast arsenal of federal powers to implement the most spectacular migration crackdown. Uh, the immigration legal activists won't know what's happening. So you can see that you know a, a second Trump term uh, is really going to be uh, something painful to, to watch and more importantly painful to live through not just for uh, the, the, the targets and victims of his, his wrath, uh, whether it's his political enemies or the news media that he is going to go after uh, you via the court system, or you know, uh, people in the federal government uh, or others, uh, even ones from his former uh, administration. Uh, he's mentioned uh, Bill Barr, He's mentioned a few others uh, that turned on him. I would not be surprised if he even went after, you know, former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, so, you know, there's uh, a lot coming uh, in in a second Trump term. Uh, probably going to call it the revenge tour. Uh, you know, a, as he said in one of his rallies, you know, when he was talking to his supporters, uh, that he is there revenge he is their retribution so there are plans that are already formed as i mentioned the uh project 2025 uh, 900 pages uh you know written about how a second uh trump term uh would be uh implemented and one scary note if, if you can say that all of that isn't scary enough uh, is that while it's written uh, in, in the, the timeline of a second Trump presidency, it is a plan that is uh, easily, imp yeah, well, easily implementable uh, by any Republican administration. So it, it doesn't have to be Donald Trump at the top uh, to make this, these plans go forward. So, uh, and you know, that, that brings up an interesting point. And that point is this. A lot of people out there uh, are talking like uh, if Donald Trump is defeated in the 2024 election, that uh, Trumpism and you know, all of the things that uh, he has created and built and put in place and, and all of the, 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 the evil, for lack of a better term, uh, that he has done will go away. Uh, unfortunately, that is, is not the case. Much of Trumpism, uh, those things that uh, are based on you know, policies he implemented during his term, uh, carry on. Uh, they will continue even if there is not a Donald Trump sitting at the top of the pyramid. So, you know, and if you look at the candidates uh, that are leading in the Republican challenge for the 2024 election, uh, specifically, uh, Ron DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley, uh, they, you know, they are very much in the Trump mold. Uh, the same could be said for uh, Vivek Ram Ramaswamy. Uh, all of these are, you know, sort of Trump light uh, candidates that, if they got into office and were armed with this Project 2025 playbook, uh, they could also make much of those events 
uh, happen. So it doesn't have to be a Donald Trump, uh, but it does have to be a Republican administration. So uh, all the more reason why uh, we need to look carefully at who we're electing uh, and why we are putting them into office and think carefully about our choice uh, for who that we are going to vote for uh, in November of 2024. Uh, in other news, down in Texas, my favorite state next to Florida, uh, the uh, woman who got permission from uh, court in Texas uh, to receive an abortion of her uh, 20-week uh, fetus, which has a uh, disease that uh, typically uh, ends up in either a stillbirth or a uh, baby that is born but only survives for a couple of days. So she had gotten approval from the court uh, for an abortion, even though Texas has an abortion ban in place. Uh, there are some medical exceptions in, uh, but uh, what happened uh, a, a day later was that the Texas Supreme Court uh, put that decision on hold. Uh, and during that interim, uh, Texas Governor Ken Paxton uh, sent a letter to the, the three hospitals uh, that the doctor who was caring for uh, this lady uh, had uh, admitting privileges to letting them know that if they performed an abortion on this woman that they would uh, not be immune from uh, legal and civil penalties and that the doctor uh, could possibly face life in prison, uh, fines of several hundred thousand dollars, and loss of his medical license. And, you know, this is creating quite an uproar. Uh, it is uh, something that uh, has not just women, but women and men uh, across the country up in arms about. As you know, as we've, we've talked about on this show, um, Texas has one of uh, the most strict uh, abortion bans in the country, banning the procedure under most circumstances and enabling the state to prosecute people who assist women in receiving abortion care. Uh, and this comes from you know, news articles that uh, are all over the media uh, over the last uh, couple of days. Now, while there are medical exceptions to save the life of the mother, but uh, doctors and abortion advocates argue that the law is too vague on what constitutes such a risk, so physicians won't risk providing abortions for fear of uh, potential criminal charges and lawsuits. Uh, Governor Pacton's office, as I mentioned, sent a letter to the three hospitals that Cox's doctor uh, has admitting privileges in and threatened that any medical staff that assists in the, an abortion procedure and the hospitals themselves would also face consequences if the procedure went forward. Uh, according to uh, former uh, Rep. Beto O'Rourke, uh, who's Democrat from Texas, uh, he blasted uh, Paxton's response to the ruling, uh, saying, quote, This is Texas AG Ken Paxton, 
saying he'll throw a woman's doctors in prison for life if they perform a court-granted abortion on a non-viable pregnancy that risks causing her permanent infertility and death. And he concludes his remarks uh, with a question, still think the GOP is pro-life? So the, the battle lines uh, are definitely drawn in this case. Uh, it, it is something that uh, is highly controversial. And even to the point that um, as of uh, today, as the show is being recorded, and it's Monday, uh, December 11th, um, Kate Cox, who is the, the woman who has come forward publicly uh, at, at the center of this, uh, actually has uh, left the state of Texas for unknown destination, uh, presumably to go forward with having her pregnancy terminated. So we will keep an eye and let you know the outcomes. Uh, we wish uh, Ms. Cox the, you know, the best in, in this, uh, knowing that it, it is a, a painful and heart-wrenching decision. But still, uh, we, we hope for the best uh, outcomes for her. So as I said, we'll keep you posted and let you know what transpires from this case. Uh, probably going to see more cases like this spring up, even in the face of the rather draconian threats that the Texas governor has, uh, has brought forth. So while it's clear that the, um, the battles going on in Texas uh, are being uh, watched very closely by governors and legislators in other red states. Uh, it, it's not all uh, doom and gloom. Uh, there are uh, a, a couple of things to, to note uh, that are starting to shape up in response uh, to these efforts and to the machinations going on uh, by uh, the uh, former president and you know his allies uh, looking toward the November 2024 election. Uh, something to keep in mind, and we're going to talk about uh, this in uh, more detail uh, in the second half, uh, but there are some substantive changes happening uh, in the, uh, the House and the Senate uh, that uh, may have a, a big impact on just how effective uh, a Trump agenda might be uh, going into the next uh, presidential term. So, uh, you know, as, as you may recall, uh, there was a lot of the same conversations going on uh, in uh, 2022 uh, with uh, the, the red wave that was uh, supposed to be coming. Remember that? Uh, that turned out to be, you know, just a ripple. Uh, and even going back into the, the 2020 election, where uh, a lot of the polls and, and pundits uh, were speaking of a uh, somewhat decisive Trump victory for a second term, which did not materialize. So, you know, while, you know, it, it is something we need to watch and be, uh, cognizant of and make sure that we are uh, taking effective actions. Uh, if if you are a uh, a Democrat or an Independent or even a moderate Republican, 
who just thinks that you know the the Trump agenda just goes too too far, uh, and that you you know may not want to live in an autocratic uh, United States of America, which is uh, what uh, the uh, the Republicans are looking to create starting in, you know, 2025 with the election of Donald Trump to a second term. Uh, it's not a, an accomplished uh, fact yet. Keep in mind, we are still, uh, you know, 11 and a half months out or, or nearly a year out uh, from the election. And you need only look back at you know the events of 2016 uh with you know what transpired in the clinton uh presidential run where everybody just you know thought and and held that uh you know hillary clinton was just gonna landslide her way uh to become president and that didn't materialize as you know donald trump and the republicans uh managed to uh to defeat her uh, somewhat soundly, uh, particularly in the Electoral College. Uh, and then again, in the 2020 election, where, you know, people were concerned that uh, Joe Biden wasn't going to uh, get across the finish line. And he ended up with a large Electoral College victory, even though the popular, uh, the, the margins in those states uh, for the Electoral College were small, as they have been for the last, uh, you know, three or four uh, presidential cycles. Um, you know, but still, you know, Biden defeated Trump by, you know, uh, eight million votes. Uh, and, you know, there, there is still uh, the, the basis to believe that, you know, that victory can be replicated. Uh, so it is, you know, it is pretty early to, you know, be um, getting into your doom and gloom clothes and, and starting to get quotes to build your safe rooms and so forth for the uh, coming apocalypse. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should sleep on, you know, any of the elections that are going on uh, between now and November and particularly the November election next year. So, you know, it, it is uh, still something that is in flux. It is still uh, not a, uh, an accomplished goal. But as I said, that doesn't mean that we can go to sleep on it and just believe that we will wake up on uh, the day after Election Day next November. And, you know, Joe Biden will still be president and, you know, the sun will come up, the flowers will bloom and all of that rosy, happy stuff. Uh, there's some work that needs to be put in. There's some effort that we need to do in order to mobilize, um, you know, the the voting base uh, who you know, are are opposed to you know, Donald Trump and the Republican ticket uh, all the way up and down the line, and make sure that we have uh, assured uh, a a victory for the people of this country. Uh, so, you know, and again, whether you are a moderate Republican or a uh, Republican who has had their fill of uh, Donald Trump and the drama that he has brought to the Republican Party, uh, also, you know, keep in mind 
that you know the the house will be up for election uh, in November as well. So I mean there are there are opportunities for big changes to happen. Uh, it, it would be uh, the goal of uh, retaking the house and with the the margin that is presently uh, in the house uh, with the the loss of um, George Santos's seat and the announced uh, re- uh, resignation of uh, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who is leaving his seat at the end of December. He's not even waiting until the next election. Uh, he's, he is vacating his seat uh, at the end of this month, which means that the Republican majority in the House will be at uh, two. Uh, and you know that is just going to make uh, governing and, and getting uh, legislation through uh, for you know Speaker Johnson uh, and the, the Republicans that much more difficult. Uh, it, it's likely that uh, the, the speaker is going to need to reach across the aisle uh, for Democratic support uh, on some key votes that still have to come up. Remember, uh, all of the 12 bills that make up the federal budget uh, have not been passed. So there's, there's still a lot of work to do, and uh, we still have uh, more than ample opportunity for uh, things to, uh, to moderate out. In related uh, news, uh, something else that came up uh, over this last week was that after seven months of uh, stonewalling and blocking the promotion of some uh, 350 or to 400 uh, military officers up through uh, the ranks of four-star uh, flag officers, uh, Tommy Tuberville has uh, relented and released his block on uh, all of the uh, military uh, elevations below uh, the the at the rank of three stars and below, uh, so that uh, those uh, uh, appointments uh, will be voted on uh, over the probably over the course of the next uh, week uh, before the um, the Senate and the House leave on their Christmas break, uh, so that you know the military uh, will for the most part be able to return to a more normal uh, state of operations. So we'll keep an eye on that. And once uh, those, uh, those appointments start being made, we'll bring it to you here right, on the, right here on the Fired Up podcast. So uh, on, on that uh, slightly more positive note, uh, let's take our first break here. And uh, we'll come back and talk about changes that are coming to the House and Senate uh, in the second half. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. And this is Steve. We'll be right back after this break. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. 
And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. And welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to that public service message. Uh, as you may be aware, if you follow WJMS Media, you know that uh, health is uh, central to a lot of what we do here on this platform. Uh, we focus on you know, lung cancer awareness, and now uh, we are also including diabetes awareness in that. But there are others as well, and Alzheimer's is another affliction uh, we should uh, pay attention to. So uh, thank you for listening to that. All right, let's get back into the second segment of our show uh, for this week. Uh, as I uh, kind of teased out, uh, one of the things that is a uh, uh, typical uh, event that occurs during an election cycle, uh, whether it is the four-year presidential cycle or even the off-year cycles, is that at any given time, some number of uh, U.S. senators and U.S. Uh, House representatives uh, leave office, uh, either through uh, declining to run for re-election or, uh, you know, resigning from their office, uh, you know, for whatever reasons there may be. And 2024 is no exception uh, with a slightly higher number of uh, departures from the House and Senate. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and get into some of the, the reasons why uh, congressmen and senators at the federal level uh, leave office. Uh, but right now, uh, for 2024, there are a total of uh, 38 uh, House and Senate uh, elected uh, representatives who will not be returning uh, to office uh, this year uh, by choice of not seeking uh, re-election, as well as nine who uh, actually will be leaving office early. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, House uh, member and former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, is actually leaving uh, his uh, House seat at the end of December, according to news reports. But uh, just uh, by way of numbers alone, uh, in the Senate, uh, there are five Democrats who are not seeking re-election and two Republicans who will not be uh, seeking re-election. And in the House, uh, there are 21 Democrats who will not be uh, running for office again and uh, 10 Republicans uh, who will not be. So when you add up those totals, that's a total of 38 elected officials who uh, are electing not to seek re-election uh, for you know, numerous reasons. Uh, and as far as the number of uh, senators and House members who are uh, leaving office early. Uh, we have two senators who are leaving, 
and seven House members who are leaving for a total of nine. So that means a total of 47 uh, seats between the two bodies that are uh, going to be uh, newly elected members uh, once the uh, election occurs on uh, in November of 2024. And uh, there are any number of reasons why they are announcing um, why they're not coming back. Uh, and there are a couple of articles that I'm going to uh, refer to uh, in, in going through this. Uh, so first, uh, there was an article in the New York Times that came out on the 26th of November uh, that uh, said uh, the headline, Member of Con Members of Congress Head for the Exits, Many Citing Dysfunction. Uh, and it, it leads off with more than three dozen incumbents have announced they will not seat re-election next year. Some are running for other offices, while others intend to leave Congress altogether. And as I mentioned, uh, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is, is probably the most notable of that group. Uh, you know, so in the House, you know, some of these will have impacts on the House majority uh, and others will have impact on the Senate majority. Uh, but let's um, let's let's talk about uh, some of the whys that these members uh, are citing uh, for leaving uh, their House or Senate seats. Uh, keep in mind that, uh, as I said, uh, even though uh, the numbers are slightly higher overall, uh, it, it is not an unusual total uh, during the four-year presidential cycle uh, to see this occur. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is while, you know, in the last month, uh, a dozen have announced their plans, uh, you know, to to leave office uh, and not uh, seek reelection. And it's it's not unusual at at this time in the cycle. Uh, the deadline for candidates uh, to to file their uh, their paper, their paperwork uh, on you know their decision if they are going to run again for another term uh, is coming due, so that usually triggers a a uh, a run on the bank, as it were, for those who um, you know uh, are are leaving for other opportunities, whether they be opportunities in federal government or state uh, governments. Uh, there are a few who are, are leaving uh, the House or, or Senate to run for governor of their state uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, the, the New York Times article cites the wave of lawmakers across chambers and parties uh, announcing they intend to leave Congress comes at a time of breathtaking dysfunction on Capitol Hill, primarily instigated by House Republicans. The House GOP majority spent the past few months deposing its leader, waging a weeks-long internal war to select a new speaker, and struggling to keep federal funding flowing. Right-wing members have rejected any spending legislation that could become law and railed against their new leader for turning to Democrats, as his predecessor did, to avert a government shutdown. Uh, it uh, goes on to say the, uh, this session 
for example, Representative Dan Kildee, uh, Democrat of Michigan, has been, as he says, the, quote, most unsatisfying period in my time in Congress because of the absolute chaos and lack of any serious commitment to effective governance. And, you know, we have seen the outcomes of that with uh, the, the lack of passage of the budget proposal and the back and forth battles over, you know, funding for Ukraine and funding for Israel, uh, the calls by the, the GOP members for increased funding for the southern border uh, and, you know, uh, uh, dysfunction over the Taiwan situation with China. So, you know, some, as it says in the article, some House Republicans have reached the limits of their frustration with their own party. Uh, Representative Ken Buck, who's a Republican Colorado, announced that he would not seek re-election after his dissatisfaction and sense of disconnect, sorry, disconnect with the GOP had grown too great. Uh, Mr. Buck, who voted to oust Representative Kevin McCarthy from the speakership, has denounced his party's election denialism and many members' refusal to condemn the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. So, you know, stepping out of the article for a second, we see that uh, there has you know, been a lot to trigger uh, the exodus we see beyond just the normal uh, filing deadline uh, decision point that some have made. Uh, Representative Debbie Lesko, who's a Republican of Arizona, said in a statement during the speaker fight last month that she would not run again. Right now, according to her, Washington, D.C. is broken. It is hard to get anything done, she said. Uh, the trend extends even to the most influential members of Congress. Representative Kay Granger, the 80-year-old Texas Republican who chairs the powerful Appropriations Committee, announced she would retire at the end of her 14th term. Even if her party manages to keep control of the House, Ms. Granger, the longest-serving GOP congresswoman, faced term limits that would have forced her from the helm of the spending panel. So there's a limit on how long the Appropriations Committee chair uh, can sit. Um, so, you know, it, it, it goes on to state, few of the retirements thus far appear likely to alter the balance of power in Congress, where the vast majority of House seats are gerrymandered to be safe for one party or the other. Prime exceptions include Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, whose retirement will almost certainly mean that Republicans can claim the state's Senate seat and get a leg up to win control of that chamber. So, you know, the, the object here and is illustrated um, you know, by Congresswoman uh, Lesko and uh, Senator Manchin is uh, illustrative of some of the reasons why uh, elected lawmakers uh, decide to hang up the uh, hang up their uh, their shingles and call it a day in terms of serving in their respective houses. And the other arg uh, article um, that I came across on this subject. And this one comes from Vox, 
Uh, it uh, cites that um, the number of uh, retirements in the House this cycle uh, is on par with 2020 and 2022, and that's according to figures from Ballotpedia. The figure in the Senate is slightly higher. The announcements also you know, surging around the same time they typically do, as I said, around the candidate filing deadlines. Uh, however, they, they state that if the retirements continue at such a rapid pace, however, it's possible for the total number this cycle will exceed past records. Uh, additionally, although these departures follow some recent patterns, there are also unique characteristics in the types of lawmakers who are choosing to leave this term. In the House, several Republicans who've announced retirements or resignations are longtime lawmakers known for adhering to congressional norms and traditions rather than the more disruptive tactics of the far right. So, you know, jumping out of the article, you know, as we've talked about, uh, the effect of so many radical uh, people on the right uh, in the Republican Party, uh, not only has it, it stirred uh, legislative chaos, but it has also uh, served to, uh, to push uh, several, uh, as the article says, long-standing uh, members uh, out of the door just out of uh, pure frustration. As we've talked about on this show, uh, and the Vox article uh, backs that up, uh, it says that some of the GOP retirees in both chambers have also expressed concern about the increasingly Trump-centric and extremist direction their party is taking. Multiple lawmakers who are retiring have cited general congressional dysfunction from difficulty passing major legislation to petty infighting as a central reason for their departure. Uh, according to Kyle Kondik, a uh, political an analyst and managing editor at Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia, I'm sure the leadership chaos on the Republican side is not helping keep members in, in Congress. And that's a quote. Uh, quote, overall, though, the House just does not seem a very pleasant place to be. So, you know, it, it's, it's clear that even, you know, among the, the hardcore and diehard elected members, uh, they are feeling the pressure uh, of all of the infighting and going on. Uh, the article continues uh, talking about party polarization. Uh, and it, it cites, as the House and Senate GOP conferences have become more alt-right friendly, uh, a number of moderate and institutionalist, uh, and it defines those, those as those interested in preserving norms and traditional procedures when it comes to passing policy, Republicans have decided to call it quits, with some signaling there's a limited place for their vision in their party. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Representative Ken Buck of Colorado uh, is you know, one of the few House Republicans to condemn his party's denialism, cited the GOP's extremism on this issue as a specific reason for his retirement. Quote, too many Republican leaders are lying to America, claiming that the 2020 election was stolen, describing January 6th as an unguided tour of the Capitol, and asserting that the ensuing prosecutions are a weaponization of our justice system. 
to give a couple more examples, uh, Kevin McCarthy and his ally, Representative Patrick McHenry, uh, he's the, uh, the representative who served as acting speaker after McCarthy was deposed and who is also leaving are among the Republicans who, although they backed Trump, were slightly more institutionalist as well. Both members opposed shutting down the government as leverage for funding cuts, for example, and both struggled with the demands of an ascendant far right that made it clear the duo's style of politics was out of fashion. Uh, Representative Kay Granger, the head of the House Appropriations Committee, who's long been steeped in policy-making processes, is among those stepping down too. Uh, according to uh, Cook Political Report's David Wasserman uh, in an interview with Axios uh, in November, uh, he said, quote, what's very pronounced for 2024 is we're seeing a raft of retirements on the part of more institutionalist members. Uh, I think that the list on the Republican side will grow in the next month. So, you know, as as the article states, uh, the the more uh, when they say institutions, the more traditional uh, Republicans uh, are, I guess, seeing handwriting written on the wall uh, and, you know, are you know, essentially pulling the ripcord and saying, OK, I'm I'm going to uh, step aside, move aside, run aside, making way for new blood uh, in the chambers. Now, it remains to be seen. Uh, just what type of Republicans are going to replace them. Uh, however, uh, the, the betting odds are that they will be more toward the, um, the conservative side, uh, more uh, affinity or have more affinity with uh, MAGA, for example, uh, than the current uh, occupants of those seats. Uh, in the Senate, Senator Mitt Romney, the only Republican to vote to convict Trump in his impeachment twi trial twice, is also a notable retirement on the GOP side, uh, who's openly criticized the former president and cited as much in an interview with ABC News' Rachel Scott. Uh, he stated, quote, look, my wing of the party talks about policy and about issues that will make a difference to the lives of the American people. The Trump wing of the party talks about resentments of various kinds and getting even and settling scores and revisiting the 2020 election. Uh, and I'd have to say I agree with that. Uh, you know, it, it's been clear over the last year that uh, revenge and retribution are the watchwords of the, quote, new Republican Party, close quote. Um, another uh, area of discontent is the dysfunction, as we've mentioned above, in the in the party, and you know the the Vox article talks about uh, a byproduct of the political polarization in Congress has also been an increased level of dysfunction. Uh, it cites this past term that dysfunction has been especially apparent in the House, where members struggle to elect a speaker, threaten to enable a debt default. Uh, and deposed McCarthy over his unwillingness to shut down the government. Uh, we've had uh, instances of members on both sides calling each other names, accusing members of the other party with being hate mongers, 
using procedural tactics to punish one another, engaging in bullying, and even reportedly participating in alterations. Uh, so uh, what we've seen is um, that there is you know, a, a growing divide, as uh, stated by uh, Senator Joe Manchin uh, in his retirement announcement uh, on video, uh, the growing divide between Democrats and Republicans is paralyzing Congress and worsening our nation's progress. I'm sorry, and worsening our nation's problems, excuse me. Uh, you know, and the article cites that dysfunction has compounded uh, some lawmakers' willingness to take on the sacrifices that come with the role, which includes extended amount of time away from family, long hours, and a contentious work environment. Okay. Uh, there's another category that's cited in the article. Uh, it says personal ambition. And it talks about others who've announced their departures are doing so for a simple reason. They're interested in higher office. Uh, it cites in the House, nine of the Democratic members who's opted out of re-election are now vying for the Senate, uh, including Representatives Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, and Barbara Lee in California, uh, Representative Ruben Gallego in Arizona, Repres uh, Representative Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan, uh, Representative Colin Allred in Texas, Representative David Trone in Maryland, and Representative Lisa Blunt Ro uh, Rochester in Delaware, and Representative Andy Kim in New Jersey. On the Republican side, uh, Representative Alex Mooney in West Virginia, and Representative Jim Banks in Indiana are simply vying for Senate seats next year. So, you know, they, the ambition uh, is, is there, and some uh, congressmen and women are taking advantage of that. And then it talks about, finally, uh, under the category of electoral changes, it says, finally, some retirements are re related to members getting drawn out of their districts by gerrymandering, which has made it impossible for them to win re-election. Um, North Carolina Democrat uh, Rep. Jeff Jackson has discussed the issue candidly, saying, quote, I've officially been drawn out of my congressional districts by a small group of politicians. Uh, in a video on the subject, uh, his North Carolina district has since been redrawn by the legislature to lean more heavily to the right a change that takes effect this year. Uh, Representative Kathy Manning, uh, who's also a Democrat of North Carolina, has seen the same thing happen to her district and announced that she won't run for re-election. Uh, according to her, it says uh, politicians should not choose their voters. Voters should choose their representatives. Hmm, I think I'm going to see if I can get that on a t-shirt. Uh, so, but both of their cases uh, underscore how the Republican-led state legislature is attempting to skew electoral maps in favor of their party's candidates, and and we have gone into that at length in our in our segments on gerrymandering. So, you know, there is uh, a lot going on in uh, Washington D.C. politics, and you know. That's not to say that we should ignore uh, the local level where, you know, similar activities are happening 
with uh, you know elected officials uh, leaving office uh, and you know out of uh, frustration with the system or to seek higher offices now that there are so many uh, you know national level offices that are opening up uh, but you know more importantly uh, I think one of the things we have to do as voters as the electorate and I know it's broken record time everybody we need to make sure that we are in communication with our elected officials throughout the duration of their tenure uh, in their elected office, whether it's at the local, state, or federal level. And we need to make sure that we are learning where they stand on the issues, compare that to where we stand on the issues, and remind them of the differences, uh, if there be any. So, you know, just keep in mind, as, as we say so often here, uh, they work for us and it's not the other way around. Uh, so if an elected official is not following uh, the reasons why we voted them into their office, then it is incumbent on us to exercise the franchise and vote them out of office. Uh, that is the way the system is supposed to work, not the other way around. So even if we're seeing, you know, this level of dysfunction and perhaps you know we we the voters we the electorate should be taking a really hard look at exactly who uh, the rabble rousers are who is creating the dysfunction that we're seeing I mean I could rattle off names you know at the at the federal level uh, names like Green and Boebert and Gates and uh, and Comer and and so forth and um, Hawley and you know a, a whole litany of you know the the uh, ultra maga uh, people who um, not only is it curious as to how they got uh, the voters to believe them in the first place, um, maybe not in as we just exited the age of Santos, uh, it, it it may be easier than we think uh, for the wool to be pulled over our own eyes, but that's a subject for another day. Um, so we need to make sure that we are engaged with our elected officials from day one. Um, you know, we need to let them know, you know, that we voted for them. We need to let them know why we voted for them, what positions they have that appeal to us. And we need to make sure that we follow up and keep tabs on their voting records, uh, so that we know what's going on. Uh, there is a way to do that. It is very simple. Uh, if you go to the congressional website or the Senate website, uh, congress.gov and senate.gov, there are uh, tables that keep track of the votes that are cast and you know how the Congress people uh, voted or how the senators voted. Uh, same thing at the state levels in, in, in most, if not all states. You can find out how your elected officials voted on a particular uh, issue and if that is counter to your uh, desires you can then use that information when you call or write to them and say you know I saw your your recorded vote on you know uh, measure XYZ and um, I'm, I'm not happy with that that is not uh, in in alignment with uh, my goals for electing you to office 
And, you know, going forward, we need to make sure that we are following and we are we are doing the things that the people who elected you and put you into office uh, did because uh, as easy it, as it was to elect you in, it is the same amount of easy to elect you out. So those are conversations that we should be having on the regular with our elected officials all the way up and down the ticket. Uh, and by the way, don't leave your governors out of that equation. Uh, just because you know they are the governor of the state, they are still answerable to the people. Uh, any elected office uh, is answerable to the constituents that vote them in. So if your governor, uh, say for example, as we talked about in the first segment, if you're in Texas and the actions of Governor Paxton, uh, um, I'm sorry, Governor Abbott uh, and uh, uh, Attorney General Paxton don't meet with your approval, say, I don't know, for instance, the way they handled uh, a pregnant woman with a, uh, a baby that would be born uh, more likely dead than alive and so forth, um, then you need to be having regular conversations with their office, letting them know. Multiple calls. Don't just call once. Uh, this cannot be a one and done. You've got to be talking with them every week with new, you know, a, a new opinions, new positions, new requirements, new demands on what they need to do. Uh, you need to be, uh, to put it uh, where the goats can get it, you need to be a royal pain in their ass in, in order of what you elected them to do and what they are or are not doing toward that goal. That's how you hold your elected officials accountable. That is our responsibility as citizens in this country. Uh, and if we don't want to see the kind of, you know, authoritarian, uh, draconian conditions that we're hearing about uh, in, in, you know, uh, in our national elections, this is the way we do it. So we're going to be talking about these subjects uh, throughout this coming year. Uh, this is a national election year. Uh, we are going to be inundated with you know, commercials and advertisements and campaigns and slogans and so forth. Uh, but we need to make sure that we are reciprocating with communications to our elected officials and to those who seek to be elected. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and we will bring you much more of this as we go forward. That's going to do it for this episode of Fired Up. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Any comments or questions, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and get your comments. Uh, and uh, let's start a dialogue. So with that being said, I uh, look forward to uh, speaking with all of you again and hope that everybody stays safe. And I will talk to you again in seven days. Mm -hmm.